Hello, uh, this is Vincent from the Great British Drafting Show. Um, every week we are going to be doing a podcast to talk you through the 2020 NFL Draft class and what it means for the Carolina Panthers. I will be joined every week by Ollie, my co-host, um, and we will go through talking about what matters at each position, uh, where the Panthers stand in terms of current players and, and what their potential options might be going into free agency a little bit, and then also what's important to that position generally when looking for prospects and what the 2020 draft class has to offer. We will be going through each position, group uh, one by one in the build up to the draft um, as that it looks to be a major part of how the Panthers go about this rebuild that we've heard so much about. Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoy this podcast, whatever you're listening to, and give us a try. We are quite good. The Great British Drafting Show, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and aeroplanes. Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. This is One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show, where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out some of our network mates. It is what it is, the Roaring Riot Podcast, Not What You Think, the Carolina Line, and the Great British Drafting Show for more great talk about your favorite team. Follow us on Twitter, at the Riot Network, to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, is just about ready to start looking forward with this Panthers team and all of the five wide receiver sets we're about to see. I'm not saying that the quarantine has been tough at the Hoggard household, but yesterday we did watch an episode uh, on the back porch of, of uh, Lizard Lust. I don't know if you've heard about this. Two little neighborhood anoles just came and put on a little show on the back porch. That's what we watched for 20 minutes yesterday. So exciting times in, in, in Gaston County. I, I just turned my Netflix on trying to figure out if that was on there. I was like, what? What's this show? <laughs> yeah, it's the follow-up to, to, uh, to Tiger King. It's Lizard <laughs> Lust. Since, since Girls Gone Wild is really going to have a tough year this year. <laughs> Josh is already glaring at us, shaking his head. What's the rating on Lizard Lust? Sorry for talking before I got introdu- uh, introduced. I apologize. I didn't really think about it from like a like a, a star standpoint, but I will say she did change colors. I, I was thinking more of like a rated E for everyone, or like a like a PG seven, like PG thirteen. I don't know if we're terrible parents, but but the, but the the four year old definitely needed to be entertained. He just thought they were wrestling. I, I am. Uh, I, this thing has gone off the rails three minutes into the podcast, and I'm. We are quarantine has really affected all of us. This is what we want, what happens when we no longer have Cam Newton to just anchor us down here on the Panthers podcast. That oh. voice of disgust that you heard, by the way, was uh, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot <laughs> Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and he's in the same boat as I am. He's trying to, you know, not think that he's got Corona every time, but he's coughing an awful lot. I hope he can make it through this podcast. You are right over there. Yeah, I feel like uh, every time that I like wake up and you know I have to clear myself out as a little bit of an older gentleman, and uh, and like if I if I have to cough or like if I even like if I'm out of breath after a run, I'm like here it comes, Corona, chest tightness. I I I, I don't know what's happening. I'm losing all my taste. I barely have taste. Are you How taking your temperature? You guys- Not orally. <laughs> 
how long can you guys read about Corona before you start feeling like you have a tickle in your throat? Uh, negative three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I am now at the point that my routine in the morning is I wake up, I hold my breath for 10 seconds to make sure <laughs> I can do it. And then I take my temperature. And then I take my allergy medicine when I'm confirmed that I don't have a fever. So this is the world of battle, battling COVID and pollen. We'll yeah. bring our guest in on the one-day contract this week, Joe Marino, host of the Locked on Bills podcast, draft analyst for the Draft Network, and is already shipping Trevor Lawrence and Joe Brady running the NFC South for the next decade. Welcome, Joe. Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. And, and yeah, listen, my wife is a diehard Carolina Panthers fan, and I want her to be happy with her football team again. And I feel like this combination of Joe Brady and Trevor Lawrence is the way uh, to get this city back, uh, you know, happy about what's happening with this Carolina Panthers football team. I, I, I think would it would watch be, that episode. We'd all, I'd be super pumped about that. Who wouldn't want that to be happening? I think Joe Brady is going to make this team – this Panthers team, uh, I, I, I hesitate to even say this, but Hornets-esque next season where you watch them maybe without the expectation of them uh, winning. But, man, if they, if, if, uh, if they score 38 points a game, uh, pff, that's going to be at least fun to watch while they're on offense. Not so much fun while they're on defense, but uh, while they're on offense, I do think they're going to be fun. Well, the key there is, you know, the last time the Hornets were in striking distance for that number one overall pick, New Orleans Pelicans swooped in, and it, the difference is Anthony Davis to Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and so hopefully the fate for the Carolina Panthers, should they have a poor season, leads to uh, the draft slot that they deserve. I just don't see this happening. I'm telling Teddy Bridgewater and this offense are going to win too many games. I think the Trevor Lawrence talk is done. I really think that you see the initial progression of quarterbacks uh, potentially under uh, under Matt Rule and under Brady with Teddy Bridgewater and then and P.J. Walker. I mean, I think that's the future right now. I think they have – and I'm not saying it's it's carved in stone, but I think that absolutely is what they plan to go with. I. I think Teddy Bridgewater was was an anomaly in the sense that I, I don't think there was five of him laying out there. I think he changed the way that they looked at this project going forward because of his familiarity with Brady, because he's a quarterback at 27 years old that's you know won 10 more games than he's lost. I think Teddy Bridgewater forever and always changed the, the trajectory of the Panthers, uh, particularly as it relates to Mr. Lawrence and Clemson. Well, now that we started this out on a uplifting note... How is, see, this is what I don't understand. How is I believe in Teddy Bridgewater and I'm the bad guy? It's the same thing with the Cam conversations. Like people are so bummed out about Cam that they're that they're just tearing down Teddy Bridgewater like he has anything to do with it. I think Before my concern we... with Go ahead, Joe. Well, I, I would say with with Teddy Bridgewater, and I, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I had a first round grade on him when he came out. Um certainly a proven able to win uh, has got that Minnesota Vikings team to the playoffs. I just feel like there is some long-term upside with Teddy and, and I think he'll be a fine quarterback in the interim. But I think when you have the chance to get that elite passer, that guy that can be the reason why you win games where the remainder of team isn't required to be so strong for you to be successful. 
I think that's where you have to start really buying into the idea of getting a, a top shelf quarterback because this is a quarterback driven league. And the Panthers are in a unique situation in this NFC South where it feels like the Saints, even the Falcons to an extent, but definitely the Buccaneers are, are, are primed to capitalize on a window here of the next couple of seasons where Carolina can be building this thing up and set to take this thing over. To me, I want to make sure that I have that, that elite quarterback if possible. And, and, and Joe, I, I don't argue with anything that you're saying. I think that would have been a, a perfectly fine way to go. But to me, the Robbie Anderson signing and the Teddy Bridgewater yeah. sign, acquisition just means that they are not going to be in that mix for Trevor Lawrence. And so I, I just think that everything and, – and I don't – and I agree with what you're saying about the quarterback position. But as you look at this offense, I think Teddy Bridgewater is the kind of guy that can come in and, and you know, run the ship. And you've got playmakers, dynamic playmakers around him. I think – Having a Teddy Bridgewater is more, uh, you know, fits better with this young crop than, and I'm not saying than Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence fits in with everybody, but rather than having what we saw with Cam where you have the quarterback be the engine and then the, the pieces around him not be of the same caliber. I want both. <laughs> <laughs> Look, well, before- you give me Trevor Lawrence. If you, I'll sign up right now. Sign up right now. <laughs> I just I think Teddy's too good. I think he's too good. Can I ask a question? Do you think that whoever has the number two pick in the draft next year would trade the number two pick for Christian McCaffrey? No, I don't. Um, he's a, especially next year where he's right in, you know, deeper into the contract thing. I'm, I'm nervous that McCaffrey shows up this year without a new deal. You know, I think I think that he's in that position where he's played over ninety percent of the snaps the last two seasons. He's been one of the most dynamic playmakers in football on an offense where he's carried it, right? Cam's been hurt for the last two years, and CMC has been still so dynamic despite having inconsistency at quarterback. I feel like he really might take a look at this opportunity and say, I'm not showing up if you're not giving me $20 million a season starting in 2020. Yeah, I, I don't really have a I don't have a good counter to that. Unfortunately, I think that that is a uh, a very real possibility, especially when you look at kind of the uncertainty with with what is actually going to happen in terms of the 2020 season. I think that he is going to be as anxious as he possibly can to 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 lock up that second contract. So I, I I'm uh, my gut says that he's going to be in uniform in Carolina. Uh, in 2020, whether it is playing on that fourth year of the five-year uh, rookie deal, or whether it is, uh, or whether they give him that huge extension, which uh, if if there's a GM out there who would give a running back a huge extension, it's probably Marty <laughs> Herney. But um, I, I think that I, I feel like Colin is going to be upset about that particular jive. But um, I'm I'm on record. I think CMC is an individual. He's a guy who you know. He's not a running back. He's he's a difference maker on offense. And what I think has happened is, you know, we've spent so much time focused on Cam that the conversation I think was more important was between Brady, Rule, and Marty going on about who is the centerpiece of this offense. Do we think CMC can be the centerpiece of this offense going forward? I think the the Teddy Bridgewater signing speaks to that, that he can be that type of guy. I do think he's the type of uh, of running back that you invest in. No, I don't think that's standard, but I think he is an, he is an exception. He's one of those special players, Marshall Falk, Curtis Martin. There's guys that have had that have had time and have long careers, and I think he is the next 
evolution of those guys. So I'm not eager to get rid of them. I, I would, I would, and this is part of why I think they have they've changed the trajectory because everything we said about Trevor Lawrence works except for the the CMC piece. This is a guy that's coming into the prime of his career that has been a, a workhorse type back. And now what do you do? Do you load up another? 2000 yard season for him in a year where your goal is to draft number one and to get Trevor Lawrence, or do you try and figure out something? And to me, this is the compromise. Now we have CMC as the piece and and who knows they'll trade him tomorrow and I'll look like a fool. That's fine. I'll wear it. But I, I think the Teddy Bridgewater signing combined with CMC, that is the trajectory of this offense. Now. I would also be curious if I'm Christian McCaffrey, um, whether I might relish the idea of we know that he was the centerpiece of this offense last year and probably going into 2020, but now he is literally the face of the franchise more so than ever. There is nobody else to, uh, to, to even come in a close second at this point. Uh, the most recognizable player on the Carolina Panthers after Christian McCaffrey is uh, DJ Moore, I guess. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater probably, but Teddy Bridgewater can't be the face of the franchise. So now you have a guy that can literally own the city of Charlotte the way that Cam Newton has done in the past. So I wonder if he says to his camp, hey, I want to be here. I want to I want to be the guy that brings this team back out of uh, of the doldrums and into this next era if they're willing to pay me uh, $16 million a year to do it. Signed, done, easy money. Take that. If Joe, question. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, question for you. You host a Bills podcast, so obviously you're you're very familiar with the Panthers roster as we're the feeder team for you guys. Um, what former Panther do you think was the most surprising signing in Buffalo? It's interesting. It's almost like at this point, you know, with it being really the third offseason of McDermott and Bean you kind of don't get surprised at all whenever it's a former Carolina Panther that they bring into a new contract. I will say that I am very surprised that they didn't get Greg Olson. Um, I thought that was a, a lock in terms of Greg wanting to stay on the East Coast and Seattle and Washington being the other two contenders. And really the the kind of the culture that's been built there, I thought it would be really good for Greg. And then the Bills have built this amazing sports training facility that everyone raves about that's a big selling point for free agents. And I know that agents are very high on it. So I thought the injury stuff with Greg, the, where he was at in his career, not wanting to uh, play in Seattle and keep his family chart. I thought Buffalo was going to be the spot. So I was surprised he didn't go, but I guess I'll go with for my actual answer here, Daryl Williams, the most recent signing, the offensive lineman. And what it comes down to is not that Daryl Williams isn't a fit for Buffalo or, or that he can't help this team. It's that the bills top nine offensive linemen from last year are all returning. And so you kind of felt like they had their room assembled, um, but it didn't stop Brandon Bean from taking the opportunity to add competition in the form of Daryl Williams. So I think because of the depth they already had, Daryl Williams was the one that made me say, huh, I'm really surprised by that. Do you think that the, the kind of this pipeline from Carolina to Buffalo is something that's going to continue and maybe turn into Carolina to Washington. I know obviously you see these guys that, that the coaches are so familiar with and that, that familiarity is really important um, kind of at that middle tier and bottom of the roster, especially. And it's, I, I am curious if you think that that's the kind of thing that is 
is kind of, is unusual that it happens uh, so often, Carolina to Buffalo, or if you think that's something that's going to happen around the league? Well, I, I think I think you can expect it to continue. I mean, you look at you look at anybody that gets a, an opportunity to be a head coach or a general manager like Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean did receive, and they're going to want to take the ingredients that made them successful where they were in the past and try to introduce them to where they are now, so they continue to have that success that they've enjoyed in the past. And so, especially in this off season where you're not really able to do your traditional free agent visits and um, host players and those types of things, you're going to be more than ever willing to go with what's comfortable for you instead of taking chances. And I think that speaks to some of the, the ideas that happened this year. And yeah, I mean the, the Carolina, the Buffalo thing is eventually going to diminish just because there's not going to be any more options, right? They've, they will all have run their course. Um, and so with, with that in mind and, you know, Rivera being fresh to Washington, I do think that you'll start to see that. And we already have, right? Thomas Davis is there. They traded for Kyle Allen. So I think that you'll see as the, as the Panthers roster continues to churn, I think you'll see more and more of what you saw happen in Buffalo replicated to a degree in Washington. What did you think about the Robbie Anderson signing here in uh, in Carolina? Obviously, when we talk about the pipeline, uh, it's it's kind of a temple. It's a New Jersey to uh, to Charlotte pipeline right now. But um, I, I'm curious what you thought about that Robbie Anderson. What you think he can do for this offense and and kind of how he fits in? Well, I th- I think it, the immediate thought was this surprises me because you're trying to figure out what Carolina's doing. And if they're tanking, they're sort of tanking, but they're also sort of not tanking. And we kind of talked about that at the open there is it's, it's, there's just not enough slam dunk moves that make you say, you know what? Yeah. They're really trying to deplete this thing. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do because you set yourself up to maybe be average and there's nothing worse than that in the NFL. But when you think about trading away Trey Turner for Russell Okung, you think about bringing in um, a Robbie Anderson and, at the same time, you think about letting a James Bradbury out the door. It's, it's hard to kind of piece it all together. But specifically with Robbie Anderson, when you think, okay, first of all, he, he knows Matt Rule from their days at Temple. Okay, so there's that familiarity. So that makes it a little bit more easy to understand. And then you you remember that Joe Brady's this offensive coordinator. And, you know, Joe Brady gave some great comments about how he's going to build the offense to the personnel that he has in Carolina. Well, let me just tell you that he got hired in Carolina because he what because of what he accomplished last year at LSU. And so you can expect to see a lot of those principles in Carolina, which means spread offense, route concepts, five-man protection, you know, four or five wide receiver sets almost all the time. And the Panthers didn't have the dudes to run that offense. And now when you bring in a Robbie Anderson to this mix who can get vertical um, and have success, and, and because of that, it makes him a good intermediate weapon. You think about him in that Jamar Chase role. You think about DJ Moore in that Justin Jefferson role, and you're starting to see this offense look like a little bit what he had in LSU. Now, um, you get a little bit concerned about five-man protection and what they have in this offensive line, but I think that speaks to why they went out and got Russell Okung, a proven left tackle in this league, which has been a revolving door for Carolina since Jordan Gross retired. You've kind of you kind of get your answer there, and it makes you feel better about protecting with five. You get your distributor and Teddy Bridgewater. And you needed those weapons. And uh, I think it, it was smart of Carolina to go out. If they want to go out and win this year, it was smart of them to go out and get a wide receiver that can help them run this offense that they want to employ next year. 
Uh, yep. Uh, Joe, I agree with you that they just haven't done enough. They, it's, it's, it's half measures. And that's, that's why I'm just trying to quell the Trevor Lawrence stuff now, because it, this offense is going to be good. I mean, we're talking about a national championship offense. And you look at, at the guys that are going to pour over, so to speak, for Carolina, and you have highly touted, highly thought of guys that are going to be in those positions as well. I, I think this offense is going to have success early on in, the, in this, this rule era much more so than the defense. Although at the same time, the idea of a no-name defense is not something that's completely out of left field, for particularly for a mid-level you know, team, which is what I think they would ultimately be next year. Well, and when you look at this Carolina offense, I mean, obviously there, there are some playmakers. Let's not act like it's devoid of playmakers. DJ Moore is really a bright young star in this league. I mean, to, for, for him to have the production he had last year with three different quarterbacks, I mean, come on now, that's impressive. And now Robbie Anderson, who we know can make plays in this league, Curtis Samuel, who has a ton of potential, uh, Ian Thomas, who has been waiting in the wings at tight end, and then, of course, Christian McCaffrey, who's you know a top-five offensive weapon in the league. You take that plus an offense that is new, that everyone's going to be kind of catching up on and, and wondering what this group's going to look like, it's going to take a little time. Now, the, 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 the real story, the real answers will come in its staying power and how, okay, eight games in, how do teams adjust? There's a big uh, sample size of film. You can start to get a feel. But I think at least initially, you'll see some firepower here behind this Carolina Panthers offense. Uh, obviously, Joe, you watch you watch a lot of college tape, much more than than me uh, and probably Colin. I don't know how much uh, Nebraska you watch, but uh, yeah. if you watch, uh, <laughs> Nikki may have you beat on that. But um, uh, what did you? I'm the uh, only was, one watching Nebraska. Yeah, it's true. Uh, uh, you and Tommy, you and T. Frage. Um, I, my question is about that LSU offense and kind of if you could just kind of tell tell Panthers fans like what what they should be expecting. Obviously, we talk a lot about the the spread offense and four wide receiver set, five wide receiver set. Just if you could go into a little bit more detail, that'd be great. Yeah, I've done a lot of work on this offense. I, I actually was down in Tuscaloosa for Bama LSU this past year. And so in preparation for that game, I really dug into that offense so that I can understand it and talk about it. We did a big broadcast and then obviously they have, I don't know, eight prospects on that offensive line or that offense in general. So that's led me to watching all of those games again through the lens of each one of those players. So yeah, I spent a lot of time with this LSU offense. And, and so I do think, some of the stuff I've kind of already said with with the passing game, it is five man protection, and what that means is that your five offensive linemen, that's it. Those are the guys that that work in pass in pass pro, and a lot of times that running back uh, is it's either an empty set or that running back goes out for a route, or it's a tight end that goes out for a route, and then four other receivers. And so, what's what's different than about this passing offense than a typical spread. You might think spread offense. You might think Mike Leach air raid offense, Chip Kelly, spread everything out, try to scheme up some throws and get the ball out, out of the hands of the quarterback and, and into the playmakers hands and have them create after the catch. And it's, it's where these, these routes um, are, are set up to get guys open. And it's very simple for the quarterback. That's not Joe Brady's offense. Okay. That's, that's, that's an air raid offense. What you get with Joe Brady is, is it's based on route concepts instead of routes. And what I mean by that is there's a big onus on the quarterback and the wide receivers to read the coverage 
and adjust their routes accordingly. So if if, if it's going to be cover three, you run this route. If they're going to play up on you, you run this route. And it's all these side adjustments happening on the fly. And so it's it's a huge, huge stress on those guys to be on the same page and, and have the football intelligence needed to read those coverage uh, concepts quickly and do what you are supposed to do so that you're in the spot. And what it is, I mean, you've probably heard people talk all the time about defenses that you have to take what the defense gives you because every defense gives you something. And that's what this Joe Brady offense is. It's just a bunch of, it's, it's 11 dudes figuring out what the defense gives you and then going to that spot and, and being on the same page. And it's lethal. If you can get everyone on the same page, it's lethal. Um, and, and I think that speaks to why Teddy Bridgewater was brought in to be this quarterback because he's a very smart quarterback that understands those things. Now, we got to get him thrown to these receivers. We got to get him talking. We got to get him them going through reps and, and talking about, okay, that corner was off the, the, the safety rolled over to the hash. This is where you're supposed to be. So there's a lot of communication to it, but that's what it is. That's what makes it different from a typical uh, a spread offense is it's based on concepts. And then you're going to get a lot of, of zone and power elements in the run game. Uh, they had a back there, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who, you know, was a big part of what they do. I know Joe Burrow and those receivers get a lot of the praise for that LSU offense, but Clyde Edwards, Clyde Edwards Hilaire was absolutely a catalyst. And you know, he caught the football a ton and he run, he ran a lot of different routes. And so you watch a lot of football and you see manufactured touches for running backs in the passing game where, you know, they just leak them out into the flats. You throw them the football and say, hey, good luck. Go get some yards. You saw that a lot with Christian McCaffrey in the past. This is different. This is where there's an onus on that running back's ability to run routes, to be able to get matched up, isolated on a, on a, on a linebacker, and attack their blind spot and get open. And so it, it's going to be great for McCaffrey in that regard because his touches will have more creativity behind them and allow him to use his skill set as a route runner to get open as opposed to, hey, go over there to, to my right. I'm going to throw you the football and good luck. So there's a lot to it and, and I'm excited to see what it looks like, but it's all about football intelligence, five man protections, route concepts, and having that dynamic feature back. Yeah. It's just like you said that obviously you bring in a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. And I think that because of, because of the way that he can run this offense, he's a smart quarterback uh, and, and knows how to make the right decisions at the right time. That's why I think that, we had talked about this before free agency started. I think that we were, my impression when you talk to people around the team was that they thought that Cam Newton could come in and run this Joe Brady offense and the same thing for Teddy Bridgewater. And when a lot of people talk about, they have questions about, well, if the team, if, if you're looking to bridge to the next quarterback, which I know we always talk about quarterbacks and it's so important and obviously they make the biggest difference. But when you talk about bridging to the next quarterback, these guys that are on the team, they have to progress. So if you have DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and Ian Thomas and and you want them to be a part of the next chapter of the Carolina Panthers, but you have Will Greer who can't get the ball out on time and who can't make the right decisions and read the defenses correctly. Yeah, you're going to go one and 15, but your guys are not going to get any better. And they're not going to progress through their career and start to to thrive in that Joe Brady offense. And that, to me, is why the idea of going forward with Will Greer or Kyle Allen or some other, excuse my French, shitty quarterback, there's our one of two curses, uh, that is the problem. 
with the, that kind of thought process without using uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton, some sort of professional NFL quarterback to move them forward. Well, and you don't want to, you have to, this is what NFL teams, I think some are learning to do this. You want to isolate the variable. And what I mean by that is don't have a rookie quarterback, a brand new quarterback that's never played in the NFL and surround them, surround him with a bunch of developing players, right? You, you can't have that. That's going to be chaotic. What you need to do is get that infrastructure around that quarterback solid. So that way the variable is isolated. It's the quarterback and you can get a clean evaluation and allow them to actually progress in the league with players that know what the heck they're doing. And so I, I do think I do think it's a it's a tough it's a difficult thing to kind of to weigh because on one hand you you would love to just get Trevor Lawrence in here and, and prosper. But at the same time, if you can't get the rest of that roster right around him, then you're gonna have a situation like a Derek Carr or a David Carr in Houston where developing players around developing players and nobody is where they're supposed to be. And so um, it, it, it's, it's just, it's a struggle. It's a struggle there, but, um, yeah, I do, I do think there's a lot of value in, in making sure that your infrastructure is set that way you, you isolate the variable and let, whether that's Teddy or whoever the, the long-term guy is that they eventually draft high in the first round, give that guy a chance to, uh, to succeed. And I think it's important, Josh, you bring up an important point because of these guys' contract situations. All of a sudden, you, we may have an offense for a Super Bowl caliber team. When you, we talk about the weapons that we've, we've named, that you don't want to watch those guys walk out the door because you're wasting the years where you need to be making the decision whether or not they're going to be a part of your team for the, for the foreseeable future. And so you, what you end up with is this kind of continuing, oh, well, the next guy out, just what Joe's talking about with the, with the variables. In order to figure out whether or not who these guys are, I think that you know, solidifying that quarterback position quickly, the way that they've done, gives us the best opportunity to try and evaluate each of these guys individually. Yeah, great point, Colin. I mean, we literally, you wasted an entire season of a healthy Curtis Samuel by overthrowing and underthrowing him when he was wide open 40 yards down the field. So. Yeah, and, and he's the guy that we all think, right? Like we're all waiting for the Curtis Samuel emergence. And we thought it was going to be this year and the quarterback play wasn't up to par. So now we'll finally know. And it's like, do you want to commit to this guy? You know, Joe brought up MKG earlier. He had so many injuries and so many unfortunate situations and the team tanked and blah, blah, blah. And they were bad. And then they got to the point where you go, well, we have to make a contract decision about whether or not we want to keep this guy. And ultimately they kept him until 2020, you know, but it's fine. But these are the, these are the these are the impacts that happen if you just tr- say we're going to tear it down and act like you know the, the the walls are bare all of a sudden and you just get to build a, a perfect football little little uh, garden for yourself. Let's look ahead to the draft, Joe. Where is this draft deepest? Oh, the the draft is deep. I think on the offensive line, uh, wide receiver is incredibly deep. Um, I really like this cornerback class. Maybe safety, but I, offensive line, wide receiver, really stand out. Cornerback and safety, I would say, next tier in ter- terms of deepest positions. Well, let's I, talk about corner. Sorry, I, I, I think the Panthers have. They could use uh, four of them, <laughs> probably. Uh, so, like, I, I think that obviously we all know about Jeff Akuda, but who are some other guys that you kind of have your eye on that that have jumped out for at you from this corner class. 
I really love Christian Fulton from LSU. Um, I know that they've had Greedy Williams there in the past, and then this past year was Derek Stingley, the, the really you know big-time freshman. I think Christian Fulton's been the best corner both years. Uh, very polished in terms of being a technician. I think he can run man coverage, zone coverage, whatever you want him to do. He's really good in press coverage, good ball skills. He never panics. Um, I just feel like he has great spatial awareness. Christian Fulton is is my cornerback, too. I know most people like C.J. Henderson from Florida, who has an elite man coverage skills uh, ability. But, I mean, if if you like corners that don't tackle, then, you know, that's 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 kind of the deal with C.J. I mean, he, he's going to be a lockdown corner. He's not going to give up much. But if if teams go after him in the run game or ask him to come up and tackle, I mean, he's, he's very embarrassing in that regard. Um so those are kind of the guys like in the in the first round. I mean, Jeff Gladney from TCU, um, I think he's versatile. He has that dog mentality in him. He'll hit, but he's also got quick feet and fluid hips. He can win a man coverage. So those are those are the guys that get me excited in the first round. And so what the challenge for me is at seven, you know, I don't know that there'd be one I would take outside of Akuda, and Akuda is going to be gone after the Detroit Lions are done picking at three. So when it it comes to Carolina and, and fixing this cornerback position or adding some young talent to it. I think it's going to have to happen on day two. You know, Joe, until you started talking about this offensive line and really kind of breaking down what we expect this offense to look like and, and to do, I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to the offensive tackle possibility there at seven. But with what you're saying about five-man protections and needing those guys to be able to stay on an island, especially if Christian McCaffrey is going to be the, the, the safety valve or the guy behind him, and you, you really want him to be able to get out on those routes, I, I, really, I really wonder if I'm underselling the potential for offensive tackle at seven for especially given the fact that there could be two or three guys there on the board that you think might fit that bill who do you think would be a good fit based on you know what we talked about with the offense well i i think with offensive tackle you make a good point there there's going to be a quality prospect available at seven at offensive tackle that's worth the pick that's going to be a good player for a long time My, my challenge with carolina and you know you don't want to get too married to need especially in the top 10 but I feel like in Okung and Moton that they have their offensive tackles. And, you know, I know Okung's coming off a season where he really didn't play. He had the blood clots, and that's concerning. But, you know, there was some intel there. They wanted Okung. That was a very targeted, measured move, and they wanted him to be their left tackle. I think he's going to be their left tackle. And and then on the other side, Taylor Moton, I mean, like low-key, he's been the best Panthers offensive lineman over the last two years and played well with a really a crumbling group around him. And so I give him a lot of credit and I, I look forward to seeing what he can do when things are more stable around him. And so I, I wonder if they, if they look at offensive tackle and see it as, as much of a need. Now, if they do, you know, I, I think Andrew Thomas from Georgia is extremely pro ready and he's got versatility. He's played left and right tackle. He's got 36 plunge it plus inch arms, and he's just a lot to get around. And I think when you talk about, being able to be trusted on an island he's proven coming from the sec a three-year starter at georgia in a pro style offense that's the guy that i would want for carolina to to really come in and be that sure thing if they go offensive tackle i just think it's kind of fascinating how quickly things change because the idea that a guy like isaiah simmons would be up would be like arguing with like a left tackle that that, that notion 10 years ago would seem completely out of bounds like left tackle such a uh, you know, established position. And it feels like Isaiah Simmons is a guy that, you know, the positionless football, positionless defense, able to do everything that he would not be viewed this highly, um, you know, in the past. 
Yeah, he's a total unicorn. And you've seen the NFL warm up to this. I mean, Devin White, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they took him number five or in the top five. He's a linebacker. Uh, you know, you've seen Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds and Leighton Van Der Esk. I mean, see, NFL teams are valuing linebackers like never before. And what I think this comes down to is it does speak to the style of play that NFL offenses are using. It's it's pace, it's space, it's creating mismatches. And when you can get a neutralizer like an Isaiah Simmons to play in the middle of your defense and overcome some of what they're trying to do because he's so athletic and rangy and he's got good instincts and he's physical. He's just a total dream to play in the middle of your defense. And, you know, you think about the different concepts that exist offensively right now that are popular, whether that's zone read, read option, um, RPOs, different count, different misdirection encounters, even play action. All of that is designed to put stress on that middle linebacker. And when you have a guy with the reactive athleticism length and processing skills of an Isaiah Simmons, your defense isn't going to get moved out of place and all that free space created by scheme because you have a counterpiece. I think it's just so valuable. You look at these good defenses in the NFL. They have those long rangey guys in the middle, whether that's Darius Leonard, whether that's Tremaine Edmonds, look at uh, San Francisco. They have Fred Warner in the middle. I think Isaiah Simmons has a chance to be one of those type of impact guys that helps you counter what's happening offensively in the NFL right now. So if you're, if you're Marty Herney, and on the board are Isaiah Simmons, um, Jeff Akuda, and Derek Brown are all three at seven. Who are you picking? Ooh. Akuda, Simmons, and Brown. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna move Brown out of the way. I, I like Brown, but he's not either one of those two guys. Um, you're talking about the the like the number three and four player on my board. You know, I mean, this is this is total dream scenario stuff. Um I'd probably go with Akuda, to be honest with you. Um, and that's not an easy decision. I feel like I feel like it would be harder to get a player like Akuda with an elite skill set at corner like him than it would be an, an Isaiah Simmons. And and that's no slight on Isaiah Simmons. I just raved about him for a couple minutes here on this podcast. I just feel like that lockdown corner is is tougher to find. And I'd want that under control for the next five years. Yeah, uh, to me, I, I would agree with you. I think Akuda is like, uh, for I, I think has been the guy that I have wanted the Panthers to take at seven. Well, the first guy I think they should take at seven is uh, Jonathan R. Trade Down. Um, yes. <laughs> he has just been crushing it this year. The combine performance, three cone, not quite as good as I think we all thought he could do, but he's really been shooting up my board. Um, but if Trade Down is not available... I think uh, to me, it's a Cuda that that's a guy that you can plop on the right side or the left side of your defense and just leave him out there for four years until you sign him to a huge extension. He's Jalen Ramsey. He's the guy he, he is, you know, Namdi Asmoa. He is uh, James Bradbury, um, but a little bit better in my mind. So I, I think a if that you need somebody at seven, that is going to make a huge difference in your, in your defense, not somebody that is going to uh, need to have the defense set up around him, which I think Isaiah Simmons is an absolute star and is going to be a, a huge playmaker and is going to make a real impact somewhere. But to me, I think he has to have the right combination of guys around him and the right coaching staff to put him in the right position to succeed. 
And I think Derek Brown is a fine run stuffer. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, he's he's good. Don't get me wrong. I like Derek Brown, but uh, to me, it's it's a kudo or bust um, if if that situation arises. Well, and think about this division. You've got Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans. Those guys aren't going anywhere, and you got to deal with them. And and you know, James Bradbury. Like you could say what you want about that guy, but for four years in a row, he went toe to toe with those guys. He didn't win all the matchups, and nobody's going to. But you had a guy that would go in there and and compete. Um, you're gonna have to get a number one corner to to have a chance of slowing those guys down. And you know, Akuda's a special talent. And like I said, I don't I don't want to get anyone's hopes up because I don't think he gets to seven. But if he does, I think you uh you sprint to the podium and get that card turned in and get Akuda. You know, Josh, to bring up the possibility of trading down, I, I would say that the best chance there would be if one of the three are we are we at three quarterbacks now? Is that where we're we're at now? For if one of the three are still available at seven, or maybe two of the three are available at seven, that would be the best chance for a trade down. Joe, I'm curious if uh, we all assume Burrow's long gone with two as medical. Um, do you, if, if he's there at seven, are you are you biting on that one? Because I just don't feel like I'm going to feel good about that draft pick. And I know that that's at least in part because I'm on the outside and we're not going to get to see the medicals, but I just don't know how I feel good about that falling the hip injury. In terms of a pick for Carolina, for Carolina drafting two yeah. at seven. Yeah. Like, would you, I, would you consider going that route or do you think you would do, you would go the trade down route? Cause that's the, that that's the best, I think, you know, most logical scenario for them to have a trade down partner would be them sitting on the board. Yeah. I, I, um, to me, it, it, I want to know what the plan is. Are, are we, <laughs> Are we trying to win this year? You know, I, I mean, and that's that's where I feel like it's so dangerous to toe that line. Um, but I, I like Tua. So, you know, I think a lot of the stuff I talked about with what Joe Brady's offense is, it gets me excited to think about Tua uh, running it. Um, you look back over the last two years at Alabama, in, uh, in 2018, it was Mike Loxley's offense and you know a lot of vertical passing and so you saw the proficiency there last year under Steve Sarkeesian it was a lot of the quick game and and having a quick trigger and I just love that he's has experience in both of those systems and I think you can kind of marry them together and get a lot of the stuff that you want to do with Joe Brady and I think as a trigger man for an offense I mean two is that guy he's elusive in the pocket he's going to make the right reads he's extremely accurate I mean, the only reason we're concerned about it is because of the injuries. And that's that's a lot to be concerned about, right? Your best ability is your availability. And so, you know, this guy has two major ankle injuries and he's got the hip. And those are those are that's not what you want to hear over the last three seasons. Now, from what I understand, I'm not a doctor that what he had done in those ankles is this groundbreaking procedures. And it's supposed to make those ankles stronger than ever before. And it really reduces the likelihood of injuries. But you start talking about a hip. You know, that's concerning. You know, I mean, this is a young man who he needs that hip for his throwing mechanics, for his ability to move within the pocket, to extend plays and throw on the run. You know, I don't know what the long-term implications are there. Hopefully they're, they're not a problem. But, you know, if you assume that that's going to be okay, which I guess is all I can do right now, then, yeah, you pick two at seven. If you have reason to, to, to be doubtful of that, yeah, you fleece somebody and you, you have somebody else straight up and you go move back and, and stockpile some assets. Joe, you've got a mock uh, out. Go ahead. No, no, I was actually just about to ask Joe about that mock as well. So yeah. <laughs> that mock you have, you've got the Panthers trading that seven pick to New England in that scenario. 
Exactly. Yeah. So I, I am team trade back. Um, mostly the thing is for, for me, I still have that my own bias into this a little bit and that I want Carolina to position themselves to get their answer at quarterback next year. And maybe that's not Trevor Lawrence. Maybe that's Justin Fields, but maybe it's Brock Purdy from Iowa state, a guy in the big 12 that Matt rule is going to know very well. I want to make sure that they have what they need to get that. And there's been a blueprint that's put out there in terms of teams trading back far enough to get some teams first round pick the next year. Deshaun Watson, the, the, the Houston traded up with the Browns from 24 to 12 and got a first round pick the next year. Pat Mahomes, the chiefs went from 27 to 10. They got a first round pick. The bills did the next year. And then, uh, the the Saints moved up from 27 to 14 with the Packers and got Marcus Davenport. They got a first-round pick the next year. I say all that to say the Carolina Panthers at seven are higher than any one of the teams that I just mentioned. They're going to be able to get a first-round pick next year and more if somebody will do it. And whether it's the New England Patriots at 23 who haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round since 93 and have the worst quarterback room in football all of a sudden with Tom Brady no longer there, whether that's a team like the, the Seahawks or Ravens or Titans – in the late twenties that they feel like they're a player away that they can come up and go get a difference maker and gear up for a run. Maybe that's, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles who have a glaring needed receiver that can come and get to number seven and get one of those top three receivers. I think there are, there are suitors for this trade idea. And, and if the, the Panthers can move back and get an, an extra number one pick and a whole lot more, I'm for it especially where this team is in the rebuild seven years of Matt rule. You don't have to rush anything. Expectations are low next year. Stockpile on assets and get this thing right. There's only, there's only one part of this that I really don't like Joe. And that's the idea that a bunch of Panther fans are going to check their phones and see a notification that the Carolina Panthers have traded their first round draft pick to the new England Patriots and realizing that all those Panther fans are going to have to take a deep breath and go, Oh gosh, I hope we came out of battle with Bill Belichick. Okay. On the other side, knowing full well that once they swipe, right, they're going to find out. Oh, oh, oh. oh, it was a, Oh, it was a, it was a second. Oh, and Oh, it was a sec- It was actually in the Canadian football league. Draft. It's fine. It's fine. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I, no, I hear like you. The idea of trying to, de- of trying to battle with Belichick on draft day trades right it, now. <laughs> no, it's that is concerning because Belichick has a way of fleecing people in trades. But I mean, if you're going from seven to 23, you're getting a number one next year. You're getting meaningful day two capital this year and next year. I mean, there's 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 no conversation to be had if I'm not getting a number one in 2021. Is is it, you you obviously raved about Okuda? Is that do you think there's anybody at seven that you would not do the trade down, or you just think at this point in the rebuild we've got so much we got to try and do? We want to get as many people in the door as possible. I'm I would do the trade down, or is there is there a list of guys you go not those guys? I wouldn't trade down. Joe Burrow is probably the list. That's, that's, <laughs> and then, that's fine. Yeah. I respect that list. Yeah. I just yeah. want to make sure there was a list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, my, my list is Joe Burrow and, and we know that's not happening. I, I love Akuda. I love Simmons. The Panthers would not be foolish to draft either one of those players. Those would be great picks. But when I think about that long-term opportunity to, to make sure I get an answer at quarterback that, that can, you know, be that franchise guy for a long time and reinvigorates this town. That's, that's what I want. Yeah, I think also if you if you really, really like drill down and look at this like philosophically, a trade back that's viewed successfully, I think Herney in his quest to get another contract past the 20 season, 
because I think that has been the big thing that we've been talking about for the past three weeks of free agency is these moves that seem to be trying to fit both timelines of the Matt Rule seven-year itch and the Marty Herney, please give me another deal. I'm really, really good at being GM. Um, the mix of those two things that have been kind of in in constant uh, fight fight fights with each other. And if you're Marty Herney and you can say to your boss, hey, listen, man, I turned the seventh pick into, um, you know, whether it's Christian Fulton, a corner, a first round corner, two day two picks and a first round pick next year. We can then move up with our first round pick and England's first round pick next. We can trade it to try and get up into the top five for one of these quarterbacks. That to me, that that is a building block towards the future that you can use in your corner if you're Marty Herney. I get really crossed up on the Marty Herney stuff. You know, I on one day you can convince me that he's just being positioned to be the fall guy here as the guy that said goodbye to Greg Olson and Cam Newton and and had to kind of blow things up and everyone could point their fingers at him. You know, he's a former uh, journalist, right? He's used to getting torn up for his opinions and stuff, so he can he can handle it. Uh, but then I can also, you know, kind of buy into Dave Tepper singing his praises, right. And talk about how quality of an evaluator he is. And so the fact that they interviewed or wanted to interview Andrew Barry, who was from the Eagles and wound up taking the GM gig with the Browns. It says a lot to me that they're, they are positioning themselves and they want to position themselves to have a succession plan in place for Marty Herney. And, and so if that's the case, I'm not sure how much I would be interested in what Marty Herney wants in terms of leveraging anything for a longer deal and more time with this team. I almost feel like I'm more inclined to believe that he's being set up to be the fall guy in in this process and uh, you, you want to replace him and in, in some of his staff after the draft. Yeah, I, I also think he's gone by May. I really do, and it's nothing that Marty's done. I just think it's the, the – the natural progression, I think they did keep him in place to be a bit of a fall guy through some of this stuff. And they, the the part that Tepper did emphasize with Marty was his ability as a college evaluator. So I think they've yeah. seen him through with this process. I don't think – look, Marty, can he can bake lemon bars. He can bring in bagels. He can do whatever <laughs> he can. He can send them out to people's houses instead of bringing them to the office. Whatever it does, I don't think it matters. I think he's here through this draft, and I think that's that's probably going to be the end of Marty Herney. That's my guess. Because look at the moves. The moves look like Matt Rule moves more than Herney moves at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't disagree with what either one of you said. I just every time that I talk to anybody that I because that's the main that's the number one question about the future of the. Yeah, you could talk about Teddy Bridgewater and Trevor Lawrence and Christian McCaffrey and all this stuff, but if Marty Herney's in there making all the deals then none of this really makes sense. And every time I ask anybody about it that theoretically would know these kind of things, they're all just like, well, Dave really likes Marty. Likes Marty. But all the, new, all the new coaches came in. They all have new deals. You know, Marty's is coming up. And again, done. hey, yep. I'm, yep. I, I, I understand. I'm just, just putting out what I – Watch what, what they do, not what they say. Particularly this crowd. I mean, they've proven that already. <laughs> yeah, Matt Rule can't wait to work with Cam Newton, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. <laughs> been, he's been drawing up plays on bar napkins and all kinds of crazy stuff. He's yeah. ready to go. It's really, you know. But at the same time, 
Cam Cam did say on social media when he got up in arms, you know, don't twist my words. But Cam never did come out and say what his words were, which were, I'm not going to play the last year of this contract. So, yeah, that's a good point. Joe, tell us if we're looking at like round four or one of these higher rounds, is there someone there that could be a starter week one? I mean, as a draft guy, I always feel confident in my ability to find starting caliber players. You know, I've been following this thing for a long time, and so I can always kind of look at at uh, different points in the draft and think, oh, this guy can be there and they'll be a starter. And I think when you talk about middle rounds and, and getting day one starters, I'm more inclined to look at the offensive line. And and to me, you can look at this this LSU offensive line from last year, and you can probably find four starters in the NFL, and one of those being Damian Lewis, uh, their their guard. And I look at this Panthers offensive line, obviously, with Trey Turner no longer in the mix. Um, that right guard spot is pretty wide open. I think John Miller will claim one of those spots, but you know, Damian Lewis is a kind of a, a, a early day three guy that knows the system that could step in and provide the Panthers with a familiar face with as a rookie, which is really interesting, but also fill that, that starting void at one of those guard spots. Yeah, I, I think that they have they have kind of a history of finding somebody in the fifth or sixth round that maybe, uh, especially Marty Herney has done it a few times with somebody that maybe you felt like was a little bit of a reach in the sixth round. That that to me, I, I, and I'd be curious to get your take on on this, Joe. Is you see this a lot, and I think this is kind of the the internetification of the of everything is that when people people, they look online and they see, well, this guy has a seventh round grade and the Panthers drafted him in the sixth. So it's a huge reach. And I I don't know. I think they, when you're in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, you have guys that you like and you go out there and you get them. And everybody's draft board in the NFL looks so different. But when you get to the 180th player selected, I, I think that there can be a little bit of a, um, a feeling in the in draft in the draft room of like, well, like they, that guy would have been there 15 spots lower or 25 spots lower. But I think in the NFL, a lot of times they want to go up and get their guy. What do you think about uh, about like reaches and value picks when you get into the fifth, sixth, seventh round like that? I think it's a good point, Josh. I mean, you have 32 different teams, you have 32 uniquely different draft boards, and they value different traits whether it's personality traits or physical traits or something they did on the field very differently and and you know boards nfl draft boards aren't 500 names or or they're not 300 names they're 150 175 names and of guys that they're comfortable actually picking and so when i think about my line of work i'm just evaluating this entire landscape of prospects across the entire nation and putting it together and obviously i don't have millions of dollars on the line i don't have you know, necessarily my reputation on the line in terms of actually picking players. And so it, it creates a very a, a much more of a condensed landscape of players that you would actually pick. And, you know, I do think you 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 nailed it in terms of that that tipping point of where it does become those are your guys. And I do think it's probably right at the start of that fifth round, maybe even the end of the fourth round where it is it goes back to the to the area scouts and who they've been after and who they like and whose habits they like. 
Uh, and, um, you know, who, who does a specific thing that the, the team needs, whether that's on special teams or in a sub package look offensively or defensively, it becomes very, very targeted. And so, yeah, you know, you might look at this might at the end of April, the Panthers will do their draft and you're going to look at my scouting report and you'll say, you know, that was a player that Joe graded in the seventh round and Marty Herney took him in the fifth. And that was a reach. Well, in a vacuum, he was a seventh round grade to me. But for the Carolina Panthers, because they needed a blocking tight end or whatever, it made sense to them in the fifth round. And so I think I think people really split hairs over those types of conversations when you get into the the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. Yeah, absolutely. And I have those kind of fourth to seventh round observations. You need to start immediately listing off your team's actual fourth to seventh round draft picks from the last five years. Because in all likelihood, you'll realize how absurd the point is that you're trying to make is quickly when you can't get past like two or three. Yeah, Colin, I mean, it's it's sobering to do this, and I'd encourage anyone to do this and, and, and expand your horizons beyond the Carolina Panthers. Just go look at a draft from five or six years ago. Just go look at this thing. Read the names, one through 255. You are going to be very disappointed by how many meaningful players are actually picked. I mean, most of these guys don't pan out. And don't get yourself in a situation where you're splitting hairs. I think, you know, they say the best drafts, the best drafts produce three meaningful contributors to your football team. And you pick what, six, seven, eight, nine times, something in that range. And so don't don't go in there and expect that every one of these players is going to be an answer and that it's good to have a lot of picks. Just so you could throw a lot of darts because it is absolutely an inexact science. Joe, I want to ask you something about the Panthers they've been doing recently where they're trying to make sure that they maximize compensatory picks as part of being a smarter franchise, trying to make sure that they you know, get those, get those extra picks. Like, how much value do you think that ultimately carries um, for teams? Just because it, it's, it's really become a focus for this organization here recently. Um, so that's the, that's the Belichick thing, right? That's maximizing comp picks. And, and look, I'm going to tell you something right now. Tom Brady hid a lot of very bad general management decisions of Bill Belichick. He does not manage that roster well, and I think that's the biggest reason why Tom Brady's not there anymore because it's at a point where he has so poorly managed this thing that there's just not any talent. I look at the Patriots roster, and they have three difference makers, a cornerback in Stephon Gilmore and two offensive guards. That is it. They have some okay players, but in terms of difference makers, Bill Belichick has compensatory picked himself out of having a talented roster because he let lets everyone walk, and that's a problem. And so I think that teams need to focus on drafting, developing, and keeping your own good players. Don't let guys walk because you're going to get a third or a fourth round pick for them in the following draft. No, pay your player that you developed and is a good player for you. Keep those guys around. Prioritize that. One thing that Brandon Bean has done, and – I'm sure a lot of Panthers fans wish this man was running the Carolina Panthers right now. He's built up such a complete roster that he now, instead of getting compensatory picks, he signs tons of players. And then instead of cutting guys before the season, he trades them for picks. He was able to, 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 to he traded away three offensive linemen that he was going to cut for four different draft picks in this coming draft. So like, don't go out there and just try to fill it up with, letting your guys walk and getting comp picks, have yourself a complete roster to the point where guys you're going to cut, teams will give you draft capital back in exchange and build your compensatory picks, quote-unquote, that way. Uh, I know people, obviously, this is an audio medium, but I wish that people could have seen the disgust 
that Nikki was shaking her head with at the at, at the thought of uh, what an unbelievable job they're doing in Buffalo. Um, while Colin, I assume, was being sarcastic about the focus on compensatory picks this year, uh, where the Panthers have lost uh, six free agents um, and have one fifth round compensatory pick to show for it. Is that is that not good? Is that not good? <laughs> You know, the thing about you know, Joe, you bring up Brandon Bain. His time here, it, it, Sports Talk Radio was all over him as a as as not being an, a good enough fill-in for Marty Herney because he was an internal guy. And come to find out, I think he was the guy that had his, you know, was, was moving a lot of the levers, particularly when it, you talk about making these transactions and getting guys and getting value for guys. I mean, that you, you really see who was executing, you know, a couple years down the line when the, when the job titles change. Well, and, and even when he first came to Buffalo, um, you know, it's a guy who was with Panthers for 20 years, right? He was never a scout. He started off, you know, stuffing envelopes and kind of worked his way up, right? He was in the communication department. And the next thing you know, this guy's the assistant general manager. And so there wasn't this this long resume of of actual scouting background or, you know, like this this big resume of experience turning organizations around. It was all in Carolina. And so people had kind of had maybe some similar thoughts. Well, you know, we, we like Sean McDermott and we feel like this will be a good marriage, but you know, does he really have that resume? And so, you know, as, as I'm guessing, especially at the time when he was like the fill in GM at, at certain points and those types of things that it was easy to, to be dismissive of him because, you know, NFL teams have a really bad um, history of just kind of nepotism if you will just kind of recycling people you know the guys that were successful in other places that get fired you bring them in it's a new fresh start and it's just this recycle bin of coaches and executives and I give the Panthers a lot of credit for not doing that at all with what they've done this year with Matt Rule and Phil Snow and Joe Brady but at the same time that becomes uncomfortable for people when you think about a guy like Brandon Bean. Oh, it's just more of the same. We're just we're just we're just shuffling you know people's desks in the same organization. When in reality, you know, I think Brandon Bean's certainly built one hell of a resume so far in Buffalo. Joe, this isn't on the uh, it is on the show notes, but I we cannot go a full episode without talking about Cam Newton. Where do you think that Cam plays next year? We're actually contractually obligated. Yeah, I've been I've been in on him being on the Chargers for a while, and I've yep. I've gotten yelled at by by some of the Panthers fans because I've I, I've I've had some information on this for a while that Cam was going to be gone and that saying or the the Chargers wanted him and and that was not popular, but I think it's the trajectory and and so far the dominoes have fell pretty much how I thought they would. Um, and look, I mean I'm sure the Chargers, you know, they came out and they said that they were going to be committed to Tyrod Taylor. Of course they're going to say that because they don't want to give up anything for Cam Newton. They can just sign him now. And How so, many teams have been have been have been dedicated to Tyron Taylor over the three. course of his career? Because this is a third, right? Yeah, right. Two yeah, in so, three years. Well, yeah, Buffalo, right? They go out and trade him for a third round pick, and then they draft Josh Allen. Goes to Cleveland, and they draft Baker Mayfield number one. Now here he is in Los Angeles. And, and, you know, he's probably going to be shoved aside. I mean, I obviously I'm very familiar with Tyrod Taylor uh, from, from covering him with the bills. I mean, he's, he's, he's as average as they come and he won't turn over the football (laughs) and he won't make a lot of plays and he's underdeveloped, underdeveloped in term of term of terms of reading defenses and, and uh, getting the ball out on schedule. But you know, you, if the rest of your team is really, really good, you can win with him. 
Well, that's called backup. quarterback purgatory. You don't want that. He's a backup quarterback. Right, he's so, a backup quarterback. Yeah. It's, I yeah. have, I have to tell you guys, I've kind of enjoyed my first week being cam-free. I just feel like there's a little wow. bit of a weight off my shoulders. Um, I feel like there's some arguments and like some armor that, I've been, that has been built up over nine years that I'm able to take off now and just kind of enjoy the nice spring weather. That's kind of nice. He's polarizing. He's super polarized. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to to see. You know, obviously, I've I've lived in the Charlotte area, so I I listen to sports talk radio here, and I and I I have a feel for you know the people that love Cam, the people that don't like Cam at all, and then ex- that extends beyond Charlotte. Like he's he's love or hate across the entire landscape of the league, and there are people that I talk with that they just can't believe that people in Charlotte don't just love Cam, and then I said, well, they do, and then there's a strong contingency of people that don't, and so. I, I, I can see what you're saying there and that, you know, like you can, you can have whatever opinion that you want, but the relief of not that not being yours anymore. I think I, I can definitely understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not really anti cam. It's just that you always had to be ready to defend cam yeah. or to, to, Hey, let me tell you about your quarterback. Hey, I got some, th- I got some things I need to say about your quarterback. Okay, go ahead. Fire him off. Let me hear him. And, and now don't have it. Teddy Bridgewater brings none of that. Now he None. doesn't bring, you know, 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing, and five passing touchdowns either. But, you know, he's going to bring something. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I also think – I don't know if – Joe, are you a betting man? I, I started this year, yeah, in college football mostly. But I, I started to, to throw down a few bucks on games this year. What kind of odds do you think I could have gotten on Cam Newton quoting Ozark in an Instagram post <laughs> – uh well having never seen an episode of ozark uh my wife meanwhile has been binging that uh while i'm (laughs) working on my my draft work but uh i don't know how to answer that question because i've never seen ozark (laughs) and and to me if you if you'd have put up 50 shows that are on tv right now i would have put ozark down somewhere near the bottom but uh but hey uh you know Netflix, Netflix is, uh, is everywhere. Who knew? I did not know that, uh, Cam was such a Jason Bateman Stan, but, uh, there it is. Now, what's out. funny is though, I walked in the other day, uh, my wife was watching Ozark and it's Jason Bateman and he's like a very serious character in this show. I probably watched two minutes of it and I'm like, that's the guy from couples retreat. Like, <laughs> like I can't, I cannot take him seriously in whatever he's doing right now, you know? So I don't know. I, I I have it's it's he's one of those guys where there's certain actors that you just can't envision them being a certain way, and that was hard for me to take in the 90 second sample size that I took in of Ozark. It's a, it's a real Mister Manager touch. <laughs> I love Jason Bateman, and that's why I haven't started Ozark yet because I don't know if I can handle him in this role in this series. Same for Jack Ryan with um Jim from The Office. Uh, I yeah, love Jim, Ozark. Jim from the um, office is always Jim from the office. Like, come on. Like that's right. I, I just don't think I can handle him as Jack Ryan. How about Amelia Clark? Like Daenerys, she's always Daenerys Targaryen. She cannot be anything else. So she, she's had her career, but I mean, she was in some romantic comedy over the Christmas season. I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, any other draft talk before we go to the game? Speak I don't now think so. or forever hold your peace. Okay. Held. 
We've done this question several times, but this is uh, after the first wave of free agency. Give me the number of wins and the draft spot for 2021. We'll let Josh go first. Sure. Um, I don't think that my answer has changed as far as number of wins because I don't think that they've made any defensive signings since last week except for um, defensive tackle Zach Kerr. So I'm not sure he moves the needle off of uh, the the John Casey, 4-12 and 12 next year, baby. And I think that they are drafting they're right back to the Steve Berline seventh pick in the draft, which I think they can uh, they could be able to theoretically package to move up and get somebody uh, to throw the ball in 2022. Uh, well, I, you know, because I believe in this quarterback, I believe in Robbie Anderson, I believe in this offense that they're going to put together. I still think that they are going to be um, better, better than we think. I think they're looking at probably uh, maybe a, a Brian St. Pierre, six wins next season. Do, do I have to go? oh boy well i'm i'm looking at their opponents you know i I, in the home slate it looks brutal what's what's winnable at home i mean you got the bears the lions broncos raiders cardinals maybe one or two of those the falcons at home as well one or two on the road vikings packers chiefs Chargers, Redskins, oh. and then the, the South, may, maybe one, three and thirteen. It's not Sounds out about of the right. question. Not out of the question. If everybody's as good as everybody's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. I, hey, maybe Tahir Whitehead has gotten really good at covering running backs in the past <laughs> three months, but uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think. Colin, what statistic- was your answer last time? Was it the it same? Is, is, I think it was similar. Yeah. I think it was similar. Okay. That's what I thought. Sorry, yeah, Gary. I didn't I, mean to cut you off. No, I'm glad you did because I didn't find the statistic in the amount of time I was hoping <laughs> hoping to find it. Uh, but my colleague, Kyle Krabs with the Draft Network, he he did an article calculating, you know, however mi- wins you had to get and what likelihood it would mean that you get the number one overall pick. And I don't want to say it wrong, but I think if you're 3-13 – you have a very high chance of having the number one pick. And I wish I had that number for you, but I wasn't able to come up with it on the fly. And part of it, too, is I think Lawrence is certainly good enough to tank, and I think somebody else is going to look to Jaguars. tank. And I, I, yeah, and I don't think 3-13 and 13 probably gets it done if, if Trevor Lawrence is the prize at the end of it. All right, next question for the game. Number of trades the Panthers make between now and May 1st. Oh boy. Um, so can we just encompass like one big one in the draft or does it have to be like, if they trade down multiple times, I think they've got three trades left to make. And I think that one of them is going to be somebody surprising. And I don't, I'm not sure exactly who it's going to be, but I think that somebody who you thought to yourself, well, they're not going to trade that guy. Um, or just like I, kind of the way that Trey Turner came out of left field for a lot of people. That that's kind of how I feel about uh, about the the trade. So I think we might be looking at like a Jimmy Clausen two trades between now and May first. Hopefully, one of them is for uh, our friend Mister Trade Down at the seventh pick. 
when you say you think you that you we're going to be surprised, are you suggesting? Are you suggesting CMC, or is he in his own little? No, I'm not really even suggesting drawer. CMC. I think it's I think it's more of like like I think more that, Samuel more Samuel could easily be out the door just in oh, terms of. You know what I mean? Just in terms of new coaching staff coming in, they want a different guy, wide receivers. We think we can get wide receivers later, blah, blah, blah. I could definitely see something like that. I think they're just listening to calls on everybody. And on draft night, you know, they're not going to be in Vegas. So uh, what happens draft night will not stay on draft night. So, you know, when you look at somebody like, well, you think that Russell Okung and Taylor Moten are going to be there, um, they're tackles. But if, Somebody offered a second-round pick for Taylor Moten? Third-round pick for Taylor Moten? I don't know. So just I'm, shr- I'm just shrugging. The right side of our line. What are we doing? We just, just, <laughs> <laughs> Joe's got me excited about the right side of the line. We get to the end of the episode. You want to trade him? I don't understand this, Bob. That's right. I just feel better about my team. It's a roller coaster. <laughs> What's the next <gasps> question? Josh, you're just causing all kinds of problems during something that's supposed to be fun. Fine. Uh, next question. Now be kittens and rainbows. Chances the Panthers are changing their logo like the Rams. Ooh. Uh, oh, boy. Only if we can have the penis forehead. I got to have the <laughs> penis forehead in any new logo that I'm going to put a stamp on. Like, did no one turn it upside down? Did not one of you turn it upside down? Did no one look from the other side of the table? I don't understand. <laughs> The, these people are building a multi-billion dollar complex. They can't even logo design a logo that doesn't have a penis in it. <sighs> I need to move to L.A. Must just be good money out there. Joe, <laughs> yeah, what's I your would, take on I, that Rams I logo? Not. I hope not. Uh, my take on the Rams logo, did you see the one that somebody made like 10 minutes later that was just better with like the, the Ram the that didn't look like a... Yeah, it was like the way it looks right now, that Ram is like it looks like something you would see on the wall at Texas Roadhouse, you know, and I, I don't know that you want a dead Ram. And so, like, they just kind of curled the, 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 the second horn like through the eye and it made it look like the, the eye was like awake. It was way better. I don't know. Like, the, I think they're close, but they missed the mark and the Panthers should not change their logo. It's one of the uniquely good logos in the NFL. Like, don't mess with that. Yeah, no, and and don't don't mess with Sir Purr either. That's why I'm giving this this question uh, the old Sir Purr. No logo change. Uh, the, the <laughs> new the new Rams hats look like old L.A. Breakers hats from like some like '80s uh, double dribble game or something. Like it, it doesn't make sense. Like they had a classic logo, and they're like, you know what? Let's take Ram horns and let's get rid of it, and let's like just make it look like a wave or something like that. I, Brutal, brutal by one of all-time classic designs in pro sports. It looks like they're trying to combine the Chargers and the Rams. That would have been, like, if that that logo had leaked and then it was like, this is actually the logo for both of them, it would have been like, oh. (laughs) We fused the rosters. (laughs) I got one more question. Week number that fans will be clamoring for P.J. Walker to start over Teddy. I brought it up. I'm curious about this, Josh. It would, I really think this could be the uh, actual uh, plan. I'm trying to think of the term here. The, the continuity plan for quarterback going forward. I mean, 
you, you expect to, to take a guy like Walker a while. This guy was a star in the XFL. It, you know, if you follow the Jake DeLone model or something like that, it would take a couple years. I think I think you very well could have the quarterbacks that, that Coach Rule wants to be on his roster for the for the first seven years of his I mean, I know you know, of his of his time. I don't know, man. There's just uh, I feel like we see these guys that are successful in the AAF or the XFL or NFL Europe. I guess NFL Europe actually did turn some people into uh, into NFL players. But did anybody come out of the AAF and and played, stick they on? They played like four weeks. They played like four weeks. So no, did the XFL. Leagues. I I understand that, but you have a 27 year old first string quarterback that shouldn't need somebody, you know, to to be right behind him um, going forward. I, I think that Walker, the best case, we've talked about this, the best case for these guys is to spend two, three years not even being thought of as potential NFL quarterbacks where they can just grow. And then you go, hey, you know what? He's, he's now he's got five games under his belt. He's got some, he's got multiple years with the organization and now he's ready to roll. That's the best case for a young quarterback that's not selected in the, in the first round, in my opinion. I think it would be fun. Joe, you are a you are obviously a draft guy. You do a lot of grading. Where does PJ Walker come in on the uh on the quarterback grade scale? He was he was an afterthought for me when he when he came out. So he was, you know, and I and I think I was right about that. I mean, this is a guy that's has a chance in the NFL because he played well in the XFL. Um but I will say, you know, just kind of with the question at hand here, I mean there were people that were always wanting Derek Anderson to play. You know, the backup quarterback's always going to be one of the most popular guys in town. And so, um, especially with kind of a mixed, a split with the fan base, if you will, in terms of, you know, the people that are just rooting for Trevor Lawrence and some that are like thinking there's a chance that this could work with Teddy as a, you know, for a few years, I, I think it PJ Walker is going to be very, very popular point of discussion uh, for Carolina Panthers fans, no matter what's happening in terms of success on the field with Teddy Bridgewater, I did find my stat that I want to share with you. Um, if you have three wins dating back to you know the history since 1978, if you have three wins, you have a 20% chance of landing the number one overall pick based on historical data. If you have two wins or less, you have a 65% success rate of landing number one. So you don't want to win more than two games if you want that high, high high shot at number one. So what's that? That's one upset over Atlanta and yep. the Redskins. <sighs> yeah. Or, or I, or ooh, boy. Hmm. I think the Cardinals are going to be good next year. That see the, 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 the thing that could be exciting about 2020 is that the Panthers offense could be really, really fun and put up a lot of points and then they would play against the Cardinals, who obviously just by by way of having DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, their offense is going to be super fun with Kingsbury. So you're looking at like if that game is in like week 13 and it's like Joe Brady, Cliff Kingsbury, like that's going to be – that's fun. That's what I'm looking for out of 2020. The battle of 50? Not, yes, that's right. First to 50 wins. First to punt. <laughs> and, and don't Joe, remember, I'm – I, real quick, real, I, the PJ Walker. I just like him more if I'm if I believe that he's a guy that they have plans for down the line, rather than expecting him to be able to produce anything in the first year as com as compared to Teddy Bridgewater. That's really I, the point that I'm making. I think they're going to sell a lot of PJ Walker jerseys 
and I think that uh, he is going to um, be a backup quarterback that a lot of people are going to clamor for, and if he ever gets a chance, is going to be disappointing on the field. That's my – sorry, PJ, like, if you're listening. Like Damian Craig disappointing? <laughs> Tyrod Taylor disappointing? <laughs> I mean, if you Just get a Tyrod Taylor career out of PJ Walker – that's a win. I like PJ Walker yeah. being just okay. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, where can people find you on the internets and Twitters and whatnot? Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. The best spot is going to be on Twitter at the Joe Marino. Obviously, two daily podcasts and a ton of written work. And so I, I, I share it all there. If you want to keep up with it, that'll be your best spot. Yeah, Joe, uh, just I. Can you talk a little bit about the the how the draft network kind of came to be in existence? Because it's fairly new and it is, um, I mean, everywhere and terrific. You guys do an <laughs> unbelievable job over there. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, we, um, you know, we're this is our second draft cycle. We launched August 2018, and and really we were that took a lot of planning, probably a good eight months of planning to get us to launch. And it's it's accelerated very quickly. Um, I think I think we just have great people. Uh, we have really talented analysts that work really hard. And you know we we tried to attack this this um, area of football, the NFL draft, which is kind of the marriage of college football and the NFL. And so it gives you a pretty pretty big strike zone and stuff you can talk about. And we tried to try to cover the draft in a way that's never been done before. And it's become so popular. Throughout the years, I mean, progressively more popular. I think exponentially more people watch the NFL draft than they did the NBA playoffs in the last few years. I mean, it is it is a big deal, and so we kind of looked at it as a you know not to say that it's not our passion, but we looked at it as a way to make our passion a business opportunity, and it, it's gone really well. Uh, we've had really good people in sales, really good people in terms of branding um, and good leadership uh, from Paige Demakos, our our uh, our leader. Uh, and, uh, we've, we've been able to secure some good sponsorships and, and, and really build this thing. And, and, um, you know, I just think it comes back to our staff and loving, loving this stuff and, and putting a lot of time into it and being passionate about creating content that people enjoy. And hopefully we found a, an opportunity here to, to, to fill a void that we thought existed in terms of really good year round NFL draft coverage. Love it. Uh, Josh Klein rules. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh Klein rules. Uh, you can follow or you can check out the riot daily coverage on the Carolina Panthers. Um, obviously we do our own draft coverage a little bit more skewed heavily towards the Panthers, but, um, yeah, uh, we are, we are right in the mix. We have fun zoom virtual press conferences with some of the players and, uh, yeah, so, DRiotReport.com, Josh Klein rules on Twitter at our riot report is the main handle for the whole shebang bang. Colin. People can follow me on Twitter at Colin C L T. Will you be talking about lizard lust on Twitter? Only if there's only if there's a reunion episode. Or like, you know, the after after they, they stop filming and then they, they do the reunion shows. If we've got one of those, otherwise probably not. Fair enough. Make sure Nick, to record it. <laughs> Nikki, where can they find you on Twitter? Nikki704, talking about all things local, support local. 
and yelling at people for not going outside. Everybody wash right. your hands. Wash your hands. Stay inside. Stop having parties. This is One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Joe Marino, your One Day Contract is up. Everyone else, we'll see you next episode. get one cough out before we do this (laughs) yeah do it is it a dry cough (sighs) this is uh, i have to take my temperature every morning and night because all my allergy symptoms literally sound like i have coronavirus and i'm sorry i just coughed into all of your ears no it's fine i definitely won't uh save that audio and use it (laughs) somewhere in the podcast i definitely won't do that god